You're listening to the Mindful Mama podcast, episode number 381, and this is a very special episode. It is the best of Mindful Mama 2022. Welcome to the Mindful Mama podcast. Here, it's about becoming a less irritable, more joyful parent. At Mindful Mama, we know that you cannot give what you do not have, and when you have calm and peace within, then you can give it to your children. I'm your host, Hunter Clark-Fields. I help smart, thoughtful parents stay calm so they can have strong, connected relationships with their children. I've been practicing mindfulness for over 20 years. I'm the creator of Mindful Parenting, and I'm the author of the best-selling book, Raising Good Humans, a mindful guide to breaking the cycle of reactive parenting and raising kind, confident kids. Welcome back, my friend, to the Mindful Mama podcast. And this is a very special episode. And this has been an amazing year. You know, we in 2022, we had some deep, thoughtful conversations on the Mindful Mama podcast that inspired positive change in the community. Like there was this review from Mending Trauma. She said, I have found so much value in Mindful Mama through Hunter's interviews and authenticity about mom life. Raising my five children, three who are differently abled, is challenging and learning mindfulness completely changed my motherhood game. And so these, this podcast and these conversations make an amazing impact in the community. And that, that's just one of the amazing reviews and comments people have sent. So it makes me feel amazing. And so if you're diving into any podcast, this is a great one to dive into because this reveals our top five episodes of 2022. And we're going to start in reverse order with number five. The April 20th Mindful Parenting Retreat Day is filling up fast. Join me and other parents in Wilmington, Delaware for a day of rest and relaxation, mindfulness and mindful communication practices, and a live podcast too. And my special guest for the live podcast is, drumroll please, Lynetta Willis. You know her from episode 366 and 400. She is a psychologist and sought-after speaker who teaches her Triggered to Transformed program to struggling parents. Join us and bring a friend to this powerful day-long retreat in Wilmington, Delaware on April 20th, 2024. But hurry, space is limited. Go to mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat to get your spot now. That's mindfulmamamentor.com slash retreat. The number five episode I'm so excited to share with you because it's one of my favorites. I sat down with... Bethany Saltman, research editor and author of the book, Strange Situation, A Mother's Journey into the Science of Attachment. And we t- I loved her book so much. I devoured it, I think, in four days, I think, at the beginning of this year. And we talk about what does it mean to have a secure attachment, right? We have so much kind of baggage around this. We talk about, you know, what are the keys ways to develop a healthy attachment, and it may be totally different from what you think. So Bethany Saltman, her work can be seen in New York Magazine, Atlantic Monthly Parents, and many others. She's the author of Strange Situation. Here's a snippet of that amazing podcast, episode number 337, The Secret to a Secure Attachment with Bethany Saltman. Attachment is not what I thought it was. 
Um, so I'll start with what I thought it was. I, um, when my daughter Azalea was born, she's almost 16. Um, I had read Dr. Sears and his book on attachment parenting. And I was under the impression that attachment was something, it was kind of like a do or die. It was a yes or no. And that a kid was, a baby was attached or was not attached. And that an adult likewise, um, you know, had a kind of good attachment system or a bad attachment system. And, um, and he set it up to be, and, you know, and he says lots of things to sort of counteract this impression, but he does in fact state that, um, you know, this is a kind of intuitive system that if it's not, if, well, what he says is that if it's working well, it will be very good for the mother and for the baby. And so my question was, well, what if it's not working well? Mm-hmm. So my my initial impression of attachment was this very nebulous kind of thing. And so, but what I learned in my research and after studying attachment for many years is that attachment is a very broad behavioral system that includes our entire bodies and minds. And it's really an orientation toward connection. It's an orientation toward using another person as a, as a form of safety. So um, a really wonderful way of describing it is when a, when a rabbit gets afraid, they run to a den, to their like place, and a person runs to a person. Mm. And so that's attachment. Mm. It's that very, very profound, very primitive, and it, and it takes everything that we have to learn to trust that someone will be there for us. Now, when we hear that, we hear that with adult ears, and so we think of all the ways that we trust or don't trust as adults. But when we're babies, it's really not like that. It's much more simple and it's much more forgiving <laughs> than we as adults may believe it to be. So a baby really just needs to feel sometimes like their primary caregiver is um, delighted by them, is aware of them, um, sees them as the apple of their eye and is there for them in times of stress, most of the time, some of the time. It's not this super articulated understanding of trust and safety that we have as adults, which I think is where we get into a lot of trouble as parents, as humans, as women, with this perfectionistic kind of hope that we're going to be able to perform this um, so-called secure attachment, when really what that more often is, is a kind of very externalized, performative understanding of what we think attachment is supposed to look like. And it has nothing to do with the internal experience that a baby and a, and a caregiver um, go through together. That's such a beautiful definition of it that I really, really appreci- appreciate. And it's really different from it. I mean, I just, not to throw attachment parenting, under the bus because it has so many, like there's a lot of wonderful things, but I have some big issues with attachment parenting in that there's a lot of pressure that it puts on uh, moms and also puts a lot of pressure on people to, um, you know, and it, and you want to, I mean, I slept with my baby in the beginning and where, you know, I wore my sure, baby, I did all those works. wonderful things. I yeah. loved it. But I feel like sometimes people feel like that achievement idea of like, I have to do this thing, or I have to, even if I'm not getting enough sleep, or even if I'm, 
I, I don't always, you know, if, even if it's not something, there's a lot of pressure to perform these, um, these, these actions that attachment parenting prescribes, but that's not, those things are not the things that create attachment you've discovered. That is exactly right. And that is why, you know, Dr. Sears notwithstanding, or I mean, like setting Dr. Sears aside, um, attachment is, has nothing to do with what we do and everything to do with how we feel. So you can have a, you know, spectacularly perfect looking attachment parent who's got doing all the things and they're filled with rage and resentment. So we can have, we can look like we are, um, you know, perfect attachment parents because we're wearing our baby, we're sleeping with our baby, we're nursing on demand, all the things, but inside we're filled with rage and resentment because we're exhausted. We don't like it. It's not working for us. And that wasn't me, by the way. I mm -hmm. loved nursing. I, I enjoyed sleeping with my baby. I wore her till she was like seven. Um, I, I loved a lot of those things, but it wasn't because I, those weren't the things that helped me have a secure attachment with her. Those were the things that I enjoyed because they made my life easier. They kept me connected to her. I am allergic to gear of all kinds. I couldn't do strollers. I just, you know, I, I need things to be very, very simple. So for me to cook, it was just easier for me to have her on me, you know, things like that. Yeah. Um, so, I agree. <laughs> but you know, you can, and then likewise, we can have a parent who might look again to the enterprise, the parenting enterprise as not a very attuned parent who gives their child you know, doesn't nurse, maybe they give them juice when they're babies, maybe they are giving them processed food, maybe they're going to McDonald's, maybe they're watching too much TV, maybe they're on their screens, maybe they, the parent yells, maybe the parent has three jobs and can't um, take the time to do, you know, put the baby in the high chair and speak to them just so, and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And that has absolutely nothing to do with a secure attachment because a secure attachment comes from that parent, regardless of their gear and their economic status and the way they look, it comes from their ability to feel their own feelings so that when the baby yells or when the baby screams or when the baby's unhappy, the parent can tolerate the baby's feelings and respond reasonably decently. That's all it means. Yeah. And not every a hundred percent of the time. Like, like heck so no. <laughs> Definitely go listen to all of that episode it is so, so powerful. All right. Coming up, we have number four. Our number four most popular episode was episode number 333, Resolve to Declutter with Krista Lockwood. You know, some healthy skepticism in my life has served me well. And if you're like that, if you can spot a too-good-to-be-true health hack from about a mile away, you read labels like it's your job, congratulations, you're a skeptic. And Ritual knows that every good skeptic deserves a multivitamin that exceeds your standards. I take Ritual's Essentials for Women 18 Plus every single day, morning and at lunch. And I am feeling great. I love this vitamin. Rituals Essentials for Women is USP verified, so you know you can trust what you're putting in your body. Only about 1% of supplement brands on the market have the USP verified mark, which shows the product contains the ingredients actually listed on the label. 
Plus, Ritual Vitamins are vegan, non-GMO, project-verified, gluten and major allergen-free, certified B Corp, and made traceable. They select lower carbon packaging, they prioritize sustainably sourced ingredients, and set ambitious climate goals. Plus, Ritual is a female-founded B Corp, which means they are responsible to the health of people and our planet. No more shady business. Ritual's Essential for Women 18 Plus is a multivitamin you can actually trust. Get 25% off your first month for a limited time at ritual.com slash mindful. Start Ritual or add Essential for Women 18 Plus to your subscription today. That's ritual.com slash mindful for 25% off. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Krista is the face and mind behind motherhoodsimplified.com, and we're going to talk about decluttering. You know, we spend so much time picking up, we want to find balance, and one of the biggest challenges to parenting mindfully is the problem of too much. Something you said on your Instagram page really resonated with me, which is, you can always get more money. You can always get more stuff, but you can't get more time. Once it's gone, it's gone. Mm-hmm. And I love that. I'm so interested in like protecting my time and having be having time abundance in my life. And I really love that. And I would wonder, I was wondering if you could just talk to how that relates to decluttering, right? Cause this is about resolving to get some clutter out of our lives. So, so how does that relate? Yes. So especially for moms, one of our most valuable resources is our time, right? Our time doing all the things that you have to do as a mom, first of all, but our time actually spent with our kids. And so one of the things that I noticed right away, once I started teaching moms how to declutter is that the most immediate focus of loss would be on the loss of like money and the loss of the things that they need. And no one was really understanding or seeing the connection between how much time they're losing every single day by not decluttering, right? Because you're spending so much time cleaning up the same things over and over again, spending your nights and your weekends, especially if you work outside of the home, just trying to catch up so much time spent organizing your kids' toys or your clothes or the laundry and sorting through everything just to have it all come undone in minutes And so I'm so glad that you brought this up because it's really easy to focus on, on the money, right? Especially because when you declutter, it almost feels like you're losing the money twice, right? You lost the money Mm. when you spent it in the first place. 
and then you're losing it again and it almost feels worse to lose it when you let it go and realize that it doesn't really have a strong purpose or value in your life and you have to let that go. And a lot of times we just see dollars. And so I really like to help moms mm-hmm. shift into seeing how the clutter in the home actually makes them spend their time. And it's in all of those tiny little ways. Yeah, we don't want to waste our dollars. And a lot of us were taught by like parents or grandparents maybe who grew up in the depression and they, they're just like obsessive about not wasting food or not wasting money. But yeah, there's a waste of time. And, and that that is really the only thing that we can't get back when we're, I mean, I would, I don't want to spend all my time. I mean, I don't want to spend my time like organizing a garage. Like that sounds really like, that's not how I want to live my life. Mm-hmm. And I mean, not only are you spending more time on like organizing your stuff and shifting it around, but you're also spending more money, like spend, like getting your stuff organized and put into sorted bins and shelves and all that is also expensive. The organization industry has grown. The last statistic that I can remember off the top of my head from 2017, it's grown by like 32%. So that industry of just like bins and shelves and over the door hangers is growing exponentially because we have so much stuff. So it's consuming our time. It's consuming our money that we are worried about losing in the first place. And just it's, it really spirals. I know I, there's a, for me, like, there's like a sort of quote that I like to think about. And that's like, how you spend your day is how, is how you spend your life, right? Like how, what, what you're doing in every day is how you are spending your life. And sometimes we don't like to think about that, right? Because maybe today was crazy, but maybe if every day is you're spending your time in ways that you don't want to be spending your time, like there's really something to examine there. So I'm wondering for you, um, you know, how did you start your decluttering journey? Did you, were you like over the top, you know? I mean, did you just have a moment where you were like, oh my God, this stuff is driving me crazy. I mean, so my story is really unique. I actually did not know that decluttering was a thing. Like, I don't think it was even a word in my vocabulary. And we did it back in 2013 when we left Alaska, the place that we were born and raised, had three kids and we moved to Florida in about a month. And <laughs> whoa, whoa, Alaska to Florida. That's such a crazy range. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like the furthest you can go staying on the continent. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we decided to move Alaska to Florida to pursue an opportunity for my husband. And we did it so fast that we just only brought a suitcase of stuff per person, you know, a suitcase of clothes, a suitcase of toys. And we did that because first of all, it's it's really expensive to ship your stuff, especially that far. Mm-hmm. And it didn't make any sense to leave storage unit full of stuff, you know, 4,500 miles away and who knows when we would get to it. And so my husband was like, we'll just start over. And of course I'm like, what? <laughs> like that was wow. my first concern. It's like, what about our beds? What about toys? What about clothes? Like what about literally all of this stuff? And so we did it and we got to Florida and it was awesome. But like I said, I didn't know what I was doing. And we only had three kids at the time. Now we have five. And it wasn't until four years later, obviously we accumulated more stuff. 
Um, I don't recommend only having a suitcase of stuff. Like that's not, that's, <laughs> that's not super, the point. Super minimal. <laughs> yeah. Although, you know, like when I go, uh, we've got, we like to, we do some longer trips sometimes. And like, I'll live for like three weeks out of one suitcase or four weeks out of one suitcase. And sometimes that feels like really liberating to me, but it's, it's not personally, I'm not, I'm certainly not that minimalist at all. Yeah. I mean, it was a really good experience because I've, I've, I've had the experience and nothing bad happened. In fact, many great things happened. Like I, I haven't been behind on laundry since then. And that was kind of like my, my life, right? Like on weekends, you just do 10 loads of laundry and try to get caught up and hope that you do. And if you don't just wait until the next weekend and, and try it again. And same thing with dishes and just cleaning up their toys and then adding in things like grocery shopping and I didn't realize, and I think it's so normal for moms to feel this busy and this overloaded with so many to-dos and it gets extra confusing because it's like, you know, we can't stop doing laundry. We can't stop doing dishes. You know, we don't want our kids to have no toys. Mm -hmm. And so it's most, honestly, most of the ways that I help moms is like break that down and be like, it's not, you know, you don't have to get rid of all of your clothes. (laughs) You don't only have to have five pair of pants, but like you don't also need 40 pair of pants per kid, right? You just need less. And so I had that really good experience of living with so little. And then we just never reaccumulated to the amount that we had before. And in 2017, I got pregnant again and I joined a due date group on Facebook, which is, do you know what those are? No, I just want to ask like, so Mm -hmm. did you have your, did you literally like have someone sell your, your, bed and all the stuff in Alaska. Like what happened to all that stuff in Alaska? How did that work? I got rid of it all. Um, so Alaska's pretty small. There was only one donation center that I knew of at the time in hindsight, you know, I could have like Googled some more. I'm sure there were more local thrift stores, but I held garage sales three weekends in a row. The majority of our stuff didn't sell. I probably sold like five to 10% of our stuff, which is pretty common for most people. Um, donated most of it. And I got to a point where just people wouldn't take it for free because that's the nature of clutter, right? If it's clutter to you, it's clutter to somebody else. Like we all have the same kinds of stuff floating around. None of it's really unique. Um, And if it is, that's the stuff that sells. And so most of us are drowning in the same things, right? Most of us have bins of clothes for future kids saved in our closets or clothes that we're keeping for you know, if we have more kids and what if it ends up being their favorite toy, right? And we got rid of it. Um, and so I, I, I donated most of it. And honestly, it's, it's a hard thing to tell strangers because I feel like people judge me for it. But the donation center told me they didn't, they weren't accepting donations from me anymore. Because <laughs> huh. I was bringing so much stuff. Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's and crazy. so- we had flights to leave and I'm like, I don't know what to do with this stuff. You know, I'm like putting it up in our community, Facebook neighborhood group, because marketplace wasn't a thing yet. And a lot of it just ended up trash because nobody wanted, you know, a half full Ziploc bag of broken crayons and the donation mm-hmm. centers wouldn't take it. And so that's where most of it, st- most of it went was donations as much as I could sold a tiny little bit of it. And a lot of it was trash because a lot of our clutter is glorified trash. Um, and 
there's there's a ton of studies out there too, especially recently coming out more and more with how donation centers are even overwhelmed by this stuff. And the majority of the donations that they get, they can't sell. And so basically they are a middleman for the landfill. And there's a huge conversation. <laughs> if you want to get into it, mm. we can, but um, a lot of times we think that donating is the solution, you know, to our excess, to our clutter issues, but getting to the root of our overconsumption and why we buy things we don't need in the first place, why we, you know, we buy two and we get one free when we only need one. <laughs> um, and that just the way that we can like, overconsume um, is, is a big conversation that we have in the motherhood simplified group as well. I think we all need that decluttering inspiration sometimes. So please go check out that episode if you need some more decluttering inspo. Number three of 2022 in the Mindful Mama podcast is a great one. I really, really enjoyed talking to Mercedes Samudio, a licensed psychotherapist, speaker, and best-selling author who helps families develop healthy parent-child relationships. And we talked about shame-proofing your parenting. It was episode number 335. And, you know, we all experience these judgmental looks and unsolicited advice from others. And we're going to talk about why our society shames when we're simply trying to do our best. We're also going to talk about the toxic effects of shaming, the effects on our kids, and how we can shield ourselves against others' critical eyes. So very powerful episode. Check it out. Episode number 335, Shame Proof Your Parenting with Mercedes Samudio you're a psychotherapist, you help parents develop good parent-child relationships. Is shame one of the big problems you're seeing um, in that, in those relationships? Yes. And not so much in the relationship, but how shame influences the relationship is really where the book is coming from. The idea of shame proofing our parenting isn't about never experiencing shame or never being affected by it, but it's about understanding when that shame does come upon you as a parent or your family, how not to let it influence the way you react to yourself or the ways you react to your children. And so what I've noticed a lot in parenting is that it's not just about how the parents feel about themselves, it's how other people in our society really place a lot of impossible expectations on parents. And so it's interesting that I wrote this book in 2017 and then the pandemic happened where it really, I think, shed light on just how hard parenting is and how much parenting takes from us, even when you're trying to make the decision of, should I send my child back to school? Do I get them vaccinated? Just all of the shame that comes with those decisions during a time when we're at our end, we're at the, our limits. And so shame-proof parenting really shows up again now in the sense of how do I make decisions for my family that aren't based in fear and shame, but are based in pretty much six tenets of shame-proof parenting, which are like empathy, knowing our needs, um, being supportive of one, of one another, um, our awareness of what's going on in our lives. These are things that are really important to not allowing shame to infiltrate, but acknowledging what shame is doing so we can work together to get some resiliency around it. Another key tenet of shame-proof parenting. So there's 
so then there's like the shame from like the outer society or, mm-hmm. or et cetera on parents, but also like there's the way that shame is used like in parenting too. And a lot of parents yes. might say, um, you know, my child should feel ashamed for what they did. You know, mm-hmm. if they hit their, they hit their, they hit their, her, he, you know, he hit her sister the, and he should feel ashamed for what he did. Yeah. And I want to tell him that he's bad for doing that. Like, right. what about, what about that aspect? Right. Uh, when, when parents are coming from it, from, from that point of view of like, this is a useful tool. How do you start that conversation? And what do you say to them? I think we acknowledge the truth that society has made shame a useful tool. And I start with that with a lot of my parents, especially when they say, well, this is how it should be. We talk about how, well, duh, yeah, that's how society. Think about how when your child messes up, what do people first say? Where are their parents? Does that child have any home training? That's the first thing we say when we see children mess up. And so our society is built on, let's shame somebody in an effort to get them to change their behavior. And so if that's the society our parents live in, why wouldn't they project or impose that on their child? Their child is going to be living in that society. And so what I often tell people is we end up inadvertently parenting our children for the current world, as opposed to parenting children for a world that can be better. And that's difficult to do when there's so much shame on you because people are saying, why doesn't your child have any home training? As opposed to acknowledging that whatever the child is doing might be their own individual needs showing up. It has nothing to do with the parent's training or not, right? When a parent sees that, I often teach them to think when your child does this, whatever that behavior is, taking a moment to think about, are they safe or do they have needs? If they're unsafe, you definitely want to jump in and support them because it's a safety issue. But if you realize, ah, my kid does this when they're tired, ah, I noticed that my kid does this when they're having, when they're overstimulated, then it becomes an issue of, I'm not trying to shame them into being better. I'm trying to help them get that need met better. Hey, buddy, looks like you're tired and you're starting to hit. You usually do that when you're tired. Do you notice your body feeling a little tired, right? really helping them to understand, right, when I'm tired, I do things like this. It's not a punishment. It's actually now I'm bringing awareness to my child. You're noticing that when you're tired, you start to hit. You notice that when you're overwhelmed, you start pushing people because you don't know how to tell people to get away from you. It's okay. Let's do, let's try better, right? And I say that to say this, in the moment, I always tell parents, be safe in the moment. You cannot teach your child a new skill in the moment. Outside of the moment, Later on, just go back to, hey, it looked like you were getting really overwhelmed with all the kids next to you and you started kind of flailing and you hit one of the kids. And I know you were sorry because you said so, but next time you're feeling overwhelmed, let's try this. Mm -hmm. And so now if you realize we've dealt with the issue, you flailed, you did hit another kid, right? But we still have to talk about that. But it's not because you intentionally wanted to harm them. It's because you were overwhelmed and didn't know what to do. And so you started flailing. So let's do something different. If no, you look for, at that, oh, go ahead. Yeah. Just no, I, I I love that. I'm all in on everything you said. But for the yeah. parents who are like, but I'm letting my child get away with something, right? I'm letting mm. them get away with it. That's a thought that comes to their to mind is yeah. I'm not being a good parent if I'm letting them get away with it. And I know, you know, it comes from this whole behaviorist 
right. background or we're, right. oh, we're dealing with the behavior and you're talking about the things that underlie the behavior. But what do you say to those parents who feel like, mm. but am I letting my kid, you know, or the, or the partner who may be listening to this episode, who's, who may say, but they're, you're letting the kid get away with it. And mm. aren't they going to turn into a sociopath ultimately, yes. right? Like that's what we're yes. thinking. Yes. What do you say to that? I say behavioralism actually has it right. And so I never discredit the behavioralism because it's true. We tend to mimic people's behaviors. We tend to use behaviors to get our needs met. It's true. So I don't actually tell parents who say, but I'm letting them get away with something, feel like that's the wrong sentiment. You actually are letting them get away with that behavior in that moment. But you, what I'm telling parents to think is past that moment. There's in the moment reactions. And then there's, we have to reflect and talk about this kind of you know, moment as, as well. And so I try to teach my parents to do both. In the moment, both of you are responding to what's happening. Neither of you are wrong, you're just responding. The after the moment time is to talk about that. Hey buddy, when you started feeling, I got scared and I started yelling at you. And that probably made you feel more scared, but I was really worried you would hit another kid. So I started yelling. Right? So we're both talking about it. Again, we're not saying it was right for your child to hit the other kid. It's just thinking about long-term. In the moment, your kid did do that. And it's more important to get them out of the situation than to reprimand them because nobody is listening. Nobody cares. It's nothing's going to happen there. And so, yes, to the parent listening, you are letting your kid get away with the behavior in the moment because it's more about safety and it's more about getting people out of the activated moment. Once the activated moment is over for you too, because that's scary to watch your kid flail about and possibly hit someone. And again, we're going with the hypothetical example yeah, here, yeah. right? But it's scary. And so you also deserve a moment to get out of that situation. If you're at a birthday party, that's embarrassing. If you're at Target, that's scary too, right? I teach parents, you also deserve a moment to get out of that too. So if all of you go to the car, if all of you go to the, another part of the house, it's not because any of you did anything wrong. And I think that's the first step that I try to teach parents who are moving out of kind of that old school parenting where it's do as I say, not as I do to that kind of newer idea of positive parenting or mindful parenting is that your reactions are not wrong. Don't start being like, I should have learned positive parenting 50 years ago. No, you responded the way every human responds. This is why it's so important to realize whatever happens in the moment happened. If you choose not to reprimand, that's a good choice. But after the moment, when everyone is out of those intense emotions, that's the good time for everyone to talk about, whew, that was hard. We were all scared. And then, we were all overwhelmed. And they're not like, quote, getting away with it. You're taking the time to close the loop on that situation. You're processing yeah. it together. You're saying yeah. this is this is the old school way may have been like, I'm going to, you know, make my child hurt because they did something I see mm. as bad. But the the more enlightened way of doing it and the, what research shows is more effective is to say, yeah. is to help your, you know, your child needs to learn something in that moment and to help yeah. them close the loop. And you're talking about teaching them, helping yeah. them learn what can we do better? Yeah. Yeah. And I think, you know, one thing that I'll, I'll, I'll reframe too is it's not actually more enlightened. What I often tell parents is this, 
the reason why we respond the way we do is because of what we've been taught ourselves and what we've learned. Mm-hmm. No one can respond from some unknown understanding of the world. We're all yeah. responding to what we've learned. And so as you learn better, I teach my parents in the work that I do, my shame-proof parenting intensives, my workshops, as you learn better, it's also about forgiving yourself for those past reactions too. You cannot hate yourself for the past reactions while trying to walk forward. You have to say, wow, I did pop my child once and I did not like that, but I learned that's because of my own anger or my own embarrassment or this. And then forgive yourself as you move forward. And as you move forward on this parenting journey, even if you've completely embodied mindful parenting, you're human. And so there will be times when it's just too difficult. If you don't believe that, look at your life over the past two years, right? Trying to be mindful while everyone's in the house 24 seven, cut yourself some slack, right? Mm -hmm. And I teach people that mindful parenting, positive parenting, whatever parenting, shame-proof parenting, it's not one, two, three. It's a way of living. You're just thinking, I don't want shame to infiltrate. So let me go back and talk to my child. Ooh, I didn't like how I said that. Let me take a deep breath and then go back. That's actually what this process is. It's not that you nailed it and you got it. It's this constant decision that after behaviors, you're going to reflect. During behaviors, you're going to reflect. Sometimes you're going to mess up. Sometimes you're going to have hard days. And realizing that all of that, if you're committed to this new type of parenting, is that. It is mindful parenting, even when you yell. It is shame-proof parenting, even when you let your mom's comments change the way you see your child. That's why it's happening, to help you become more aware of, wow, we just finished the holidays and I was more hard on my kids because we were around my parents again. Huh, I don't want to do that next year. Okay. Boop, you just did shame-proof parenting right there. You just did mindful parenting right there. We're getting close now. The number two most popular episode of 2022 was drumroll please mothering your daughter mindfully episode number 336 with dr michelle deering hi there i'm andrea owen self-help author with 19 translations of my books global keynote speaker and life coach my podcast make some noise has been serving up self-help in a simple to digest way for the last decade The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. I'm Margaret. And I'm Amy. And together we host the podcast What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood. Margaret, I would say you're sort of a where are my keys kind of mom. Correct. Sometimes a where are my kids kind of mom. (laughs) Well, you're Amy more of a we were supposed to leave 35 seconds ago, mom. 
I mean, touche. In each episode of What Fresh Hell, we come at a topic from our usually completely opposite perspectives. I bring the research. And I bring kind of the gimlet eye. Like, is that research really going to work, people? And almost 10 million downloads later, we're still laughing. We also talk to experts in the parenting field, plus parents with stories we can all learn from. We make each other laugh, we challenge each other's assumptions, and we have what we think is the best parenting community on the internet. Check out What Fresh Hell? Laughing in the Face of Motherhood wherever you listen to podcasts. Michelle Deering is a sought-after speaker, an online educator, and a consultant, and she has her podcast, Mother Daughter Connections. She and I hit it off. We had such a great time talking to each other, and we talked about mothering daughters because it is can be fraught, right? She is actually the author of What Mothers Never Tell Their Daughters, and we talk about some of those things and and how this special bond comes with a unique set of challenges. We're going to talk about how we can best navigate those challenges while appreciating that unique bond. So listen in to this conversation with Dr. Michelle Deering from episode number 336. I'm so excited to you because I am the mother of daughters. (laughs) So... (laughs) Selfishly, this is like really good for me. So I would just wondered if you could start off this conversation by telling us like, what are kind of the, some of the special challenges that mothers may have with daughters that, that could be different? Like what makes it different and special? Yeah, it's different and special. I like that you actually <laughs> include those two words together. Um, but the, the arc of the relationship between a mom and a daughter is different than the one between a mom and a son in that when your child is born, and we're going to assume in this case, it's your daughter, there's a a connection that's made between the mom looking at, cooing at, you know, responding to the daughter and that your daughter in your arms is now experiencing you as her first female object. Okay. Um, entity outside of herself. And what happens is as your daughter develops and she goes into her toddler years, we won't cover that, goes into her tween years, that's where around that time tween teen is when developmentally a daughter is now having had what 10, 11 years of experiencing you as her mom. She's now getting to a point where her identity is starting to develop and she has to come to decisions as to whether or not she wants to be like you or not or what does it mean to her to here's what femaleness has been modeled to me all this time is this what i want to do and so her process then becomes how do i identify as myself my own separate entity outside of my mom and will my mom be okay with that Okay. (laughs) And that comes in all shapes and sizes. Whereas with a son, you know, you still have the same, you know, caring and nurturing the way in which you respond to your, your child, say in, in the case of him being, him, the child being a son, the way in which you respond to him tells him stuff about the outside world, but not about his maleness. Mm. And so when he reaches his tween teen years, um, that becomes his identity thing. And, and, He's looking for what he's going to model himself after. And, you know, a mom, 
you know, depending on, again, everyone's different in their take on things. Uh, that's where the struggle be begins. But there's more of a definitive separateness Mm -hmm. that's, yeah, just that biological, that's just biological, that's just biological, whereas mm -hmm. with a young lady, <laughs> it's like, wait, you look like me, I don't know, <laughs> I so, don't know if I want to do it exactly like you, Ma, <laughs> and yeah. that's where the tussle begins, yes. Yeah, so, like, my daughters are, you know, basically saying, like, evaluating, like, I've got good things, I got bad things, and from there, I've got some, I've got some good traits, and I've got some <laughs> bad traits, I've got some annoying traits, I'm, no. <laughs> we all do. <laughs> and so they're like, am I, you know, when I see this thing that maybe they don't like, or whatever in me, is that part of who, or in, in their mom, right, mm -hmm. is that part of who I am, right, this is the question they're asking themselves, and or then they want to say, I'm not like you, in these places, right? Like they want to really make that clear. <laughs> yeah. And actually, uh, one of the things that I tell a lot of my clients and whether it's individual or in groups is I, 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 I let them know that the way in which you as an individual woman, i.e. mom, handle the experience of being separate, that is going to define and inform the way in which you deal with that whole process of your daughter transitioning out of uh, being under your auspices directly <laughs> to being outside of your auspices. And so, um, you know- Okay, well, you, hold on, hold on. Okay. So the way I'm dealing with like her separation, like us, like not, maybe not having as much input and control and all of those things, you're saying that, Say that again, that defines that, that, like that, that will that will um, inform and influence how what's going on on the inside of you. So so say, for instance, um, you know, if you have a mom, I'm just going to my brain has been on on moms of daughters who are athletes lately. And okay. so so say you have a mom who and I talk about this in my book, what mothers have to tell their daughters, but where there is a mom who came to me, her daughter's a gymnast. The mom herself had experiences as a collegiate swimmer, but now her, here's her daughter as a gymnast and ways in which the mom had not dealt well with performance mm -hmm. started to seep into how she was reacting to her mm. daughter's response to her own performance, i.e. the daughter was like, wait, I'm not performing well. I want to go get help, which is how they ended up in my office. And the mother was like, what? I didn't do that. Why are you doing that? How do I know that that's going to work? So, so that's just an example of mm -hmm. how when a daughter starts making decisions that are different than what the mother may mm -hmm. have thought they should make <laughs> or yeah. the time of when they should have made those decisions, that all plays into it. So that's more of what I'm saying. And actually, can you tell me a little bit how, how old your daughters are again? Sure. They're right in your range, 11 <laughs> and 14. <laughs> okay. You're right in the thick of things. Yes. <laughs> yep. Yep, yep. I am. <laughs> <laughs> I Do love you have it. Daughters? I love it. Yes. Actually, I have uh, twin daughters who are now currently 20 going on 21. Um, and so I do remember that that age range, it playing out exactly like how it is. And, and what I found, just speaking as a mom here for a moment, that is that 
um, there were many things that I didn't realize were, were, and I hate using the word triggering, but were prompting me to, re to react a mm -hmm. certain way. And that's why I'm all about moms learning how to pause, which is why I really appreciate the work that you do, because that it's in that pausing to consider what's going on in your behavior in the moment. That's how you can get your bearings on what's going on inside of you. And like for me, for our daughters, for even though they're twins, each one was pulling at a different thing in me. And I had to mm. practice how to pause to consider, okay, what's going on in the moment? Not so much to, you know, lay blame anywhere. It's all about gaining understanding yeah. because it's with understanding that you can then make informed decisions about where, you, what you do next or what you say next, how you say something next. I love Michelle. She's so wonderful. Okay. We've made it. I hope maybe you're remembering some of these episodes or you are making notes and going, I'm going to go back and listen to the full episode because they're so great. And finally, we get to the number one most popular episode of 2022. <sighs> Lots of applause everywhere around me. Oh my gosh. The number one episode of the Mindful Mama podcast from 2022 is episode number 334, The Secret to Being a Zen Parent with Kathy Adams. And I love this because Kathy is one of my teachers, one of my favorite people in the world. She's the co-host of the Zen Parenting Radio podcast and the author of Zen Parenting. She's a clinical social worker and a yoga teacher who lives outside of Chicago with her husband, Todd, and her three daughters. And we talk about the secrets to being a Zen parent. You know, we talk about how to let go of expectations and what to do when your child feels overwhelmed. There's so much here. Here's a taste of the power of Kathy's communication and our conversation. I know you're definitely want to go, go listen to the full episode number 334, The Secret to Being a Zen Parent with Kathy Adams. You write in your new book, which I'm so excited about, in the intro, I experienced the paradox of loving them better. This is the kids. I loving them better by backing away, mm -hmm. by living my life so they could have their own. I set myself free of needing their constant appreciation and then felt more appreciated. I ditched the role of mom and became a person who also happened to be a mom which allowed me to approach my kids with humanness rather than hierarchy. I got out of the box that told me who I was supposed to be and showed up as myself, allowing me to show up more authentically for my family. I love that so much, but tell us, I would love for you if you could take us back to that. Like, how did you, were you caught up in the role and the, and the like doing it right and the should, and how did you get to that point of like loving them better by backing away? Well, first of all, it's a process and a practice, right? Because there was like no, I didn't have like one moment where I'm like, ooh, you know, I love when people tell stories where they're like, and then this day came and everything was different. <laughs> I've had like 80,000 of those days. Um, but what I did, so what was interesting is my my background is I worked at a um, children's hospital here in Chicago. That's where I live. And I was in a partial hospitalization program as a therapist and as a clinician, as an as a teacher. And I 
then had my first child and I initially with her, when she was little, I was doing a lot of the behavior modification things I had learned as a clinician. I was using my professional awareness and my education to be a parent. And I, what I realized very quickly is that doesn't always work. That parenting is much more relationship-based. And, and I believe this now as a clinician too, but it was just a, it was, a, it was felt like a huge transition from professional to personal. And I was realizing that really the best way to be with my kid was to be with my kid as a human being and to drop mm. my therapist hat and to drop my teacher hat and to drop the whole role of what I think a mom is supposed to look like. And instead, just like be with this person and be like, what do they need? And how can I show up? And how can I be um, understanding? And how can I be compassionate for their experience? How can I um, and, and again, like I said, this is a practice. It's like I had days where I didn't have that. It's very, Hunter, it's funny. It's almost hard for me to remember those really early days because my daughters are now 18, 16, and 14. Um, and so I, what I do remember about those early days was that I was very tired. And if I did not take care of myself, I was not going to be able to do what I needed to do to take care of these humans. You know, yeah, I was yeah. not going to be able to get them to where they needed to go or to their appointments or to get to a play date or to be with them or to make their meals. There's very basic things that we need to do as parents that can be really redundant and boring, but very energy, the, the energy we need to do these redundant, often boring things is essential. I had to learn to sleep. I had to, it was like a... I mean, I guess it just goes back to everything that you started with, which is what I realized is I had to take care of myself. I had to be the closest I could be to a full human if I was going to show up for these people. So were you influenced by like, because there's a lot of parenting kind of modalities and things that it are influencing the culture yeah. out there that are really, that really kind of push the, you know, kind of mommy martyr thing, you know, mm -hmm. like, because we know, you know, there's, Bowlby's attachment, you know, uh, experiments, which are really amazing. We learn about those in, in college, the, the little monkeys that wanted to cling on to the warm little monkey model, or even like the, like the, you know, the whole Sears attachment parenting book. Like I remember getting that Bible and feeling like, oh my God, I, you know, I'm, I'm not sure I can have my baby on my body. Like literally like all day long, like maybe somebody else can have my baby on their body for a little while too. Like here, lovely, wonderful 12 year old, you know, 14 year old from down the street, I will strap my baby to your body and you can go for a walk. But like those, there are a lot of modalities, like specifically like attachment parenting and things like that, that push like, you know, just um, meeting the baby's needs at at all costs, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And so I'm wondering, were you influenced by that? And did you have to like, kind of, I mean, I don't know, what was your relationship to that kind of stuff? Absolutely. I was influenced by everything. Like this is the thing about Zen Parenting Radio, the podcast we do, and then what I wrote about is about combining all of these different um, areas of learning. And I was trained in a very Western model as a clinician, as a social worker. And then all of my um, 
like interests lied in things that were more Eastern, you know, mindfulness, um, meditation, um, more compassion um, for ourselves and other people. And, and the blend of the two, like I never, I, I, Todd and I just actually did a show this week about how I never wanted to label our show anything like conscious parenting or attachment parenting, not because I have a problem with those labels because if people use that to describe me, that would be fine. But I don't think that I have one thing that mm. I believe in because there are so many things that are not only overlapping, but you have to become savvy about when to use what. And I don't mean in a model of like, okay, for 10 minutes, I'm going to be mindful. And for 10 minutes, I'm going to be more Western. But like right now, I have the energy to carry my child around on my chest and I'm going to be in a more attachment parent kind of mode and I'm going to keep them close to my heart and I'm going to whisper softly to them and rub their head. And then maybe a few hours later, I'm exhausted and I need that 12-year-old down the street to, you know, take them for a walk around the block so I can relax and I can maybe be with my other kid or I can get something to eat like all human beings need to do. And that the work is not feeling guilt about, the things that we aren't doing, but focusing on what we need in that moment so we can try a lot of different things. Which when I say this, Hunter, sometimes people are like, that is so general. Will you just give me an ABC of what to do? And <laughs> the, the problem is that's what Zen, I mean, the, de the definition of Zen, there really is no definition, to be mm -hmm. honest with you. It is kind of a completely paradoxical understanding of the uncertainty of our lives that you have to flow with what is, that you have to be present for what is, that you have to pay attention to what is. Um, and that's the only thing I can label anything that I do, which is it's unpredictable, it's uncertain, but it's from a compassionate and grounded place. So if I need something for myself so I can offer that energy and that love to my kid, then I'm not going to feel guilty about that because that makes the most sense in that moment. And so again, you know, just as we're getting going talking, I know it sounds general, but it's actually freedom because following some kind of platform of I can only do this or I have to do this is very constricting and it can be very suffocating where you do start to feel resentful, not only of maybe the book or the teacher, but of your child. Mm -hmm. and that's what I'm always trying to avoid is my biggest influence is how can I build a healthy relationship with myself and this person in front of me? And that applies to my children, my partner, Todd, my mom, my sister, like it's not, it's universal. Yeah. And so it doesn't just apply to parenting. It goes on and on. How, why do you think we're so guilty? Why do you feel so much guilt? Because the society tells us that this is our job and that it's the only thing that we're here for. I mean, there's some misogyny built into it. If, oh, you know, yeah, if we're yeah. Talking this about is like motherhood. what we're valued for, right? Like exactly. is caring for offspring and otherwise our value, you know, yeah. That's who we are. And if you don't have a child, then why would you not have a child? And if you do have a child, you're supposed to have this like this instinct of like, we're supposed to know what to do, when to do and how to do it. And there is... I believe in instincts and I believe in intuitive belief in intuitive feelings, but there's a lot of other work that needs to happen for us to even to feel those intuitive feelings. Like oh, yeah. if we are like the, the story that I was just telling at the beginning about how I had to move from a more professional model of like, you know, think about how we're raised. We go through school. Um, we, we learn how to get grades and how to do test scores and how to get a job and how to climb the ladder. And parenting is the furthest thing from that experience. Like parenting is like 
setting everything down, looking at everything differently, turning everything inside out, going into your history, thinking about your own trauma. Like it is not a one, two, three ladder. And there's no A. You're not going to get an A. Your Mm -hmm. kid's not going to give you an A. No, no. And that, and a lot of books out there, um, really do point to things like that. Like if you just do A, B, and C, then everything will turn out fine. And I know your book, cause I've read it. And a lot of other people's books is about, that's not the way it works. You know, this is a day to day. This is kind of an Eastern, you know, understanding or just, it doesn't even have to be Eastern. It's that let's do this moment by moment. Let's do today. This is what I teach my kids too, when they're stressing, you know, I have a daughter who's in college now, but I have a daughter who's a junior. So all that college stuff is coming up again for her. What am I going to do? Let's just do today. Let's take the steps today. Let's enjoy today. Let's not make everything about this. Let's have a broader scope of life. And if you do that every day, then you don't have to worry so much about the future. You know, it, it dissipates a little bit. It doesn't go away, but it dissipates a little bit. I love that. I hope you enjoyed this episode, the best of 2022. Can you believe 2022 is over? I never thought I would make it to 2022. I never really thought about it. It's amazing now to think about it. So, uh, you know, we've recapped this year. I invite you to do the same thing. You should take a moment to look back at your year. What are the best moments of your year? You know, notice I didn't come and put up an episode that was like the worst episodes of the Mindful Mama podcast 2022. No, we got to look back and we got to lean into our wins, the things that made an impact, right? And these episodes definitely made an impact. So I'm so, so glad they did. Thank you so much for your ratings and reviews this year. Thank you, Amy Miracle for the review you left in August. She said, practical, compassionate advice. Hunter's podcast is so valuable. She and her guests share practical, compassionate advice for parents trying to have mindful, positive relationships with their kids. As someone who's trying to be mindful in all areas, this podcast feels like a breath of fresh air. Thank you so much for that five-star review. I really, really appreciate it. Thank you, Emily, for your five-star review saying that the podcast is life-changing. Listening to this podcast has really changed my parenting style for the better and greatly improved my joy in life. Wow, that's amazing. I just love this so much. And finally, thank you so much, Kay Hall 415, for your review, which called the podcast Decompression in a Pinch. This is my favorite podcast to throw on when I can start to feel myself getting overwhelmed with my kids in my day. The advice and things talked about always help me ground myself and focus on the day I want to be. Thank you so much for this. Thank you. I really appreciate these reviews. So to leave a rating with a review, go to Apple Podcasts. It makes such a big difference in sharing the podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode. This is a great episode to share with your friends because it's like a, it's like a sampler platter, you know? It's like I don't know. When I was little, I used to go to the Chinese restaurant and order the poo-poo platter. Did anyone ever do that? Do they? I don't even know if they still have those. It would like come with like a flame in the middle, and you could roast your chicken. <laughs> anyway, this is the poo-poo platter of the 2022 uh, podcast episode. So it's a good one to share with friends. Please do so. It just helps enormously. And thank you, thank you. This community is awesome. This is powerful as we grow. 
we are making changes bit by bit. I'm seeing it. It's I'm awesome. It really heartens me every, every day. And I'd want to let you know, we have so much great stuff coming in 2023. You are going to be blown away. So stay subscribed, keep sharing it so we can continue to support it. My awesome team. Thank you to sound editor, Sam, to awesome Jack of all trades, Emma and integrator Chelsea, and thank you to to Lynn and the Mindful Parenting Community Manager and Yvonne, our customer service master. And I love this team. I love this community. I feel really grateful. Thank you so much for being here at the end of this recording. I really feel it in my heart, this connection, and I'm so grateful. So I wish you a beautiful end of your year and beginning anew as we go into 2023 we are all beginning anew it's such a great opportunity to do so so i invite you to begin anew with me and i'm wishing you peace and ease and joy and overwhelming love that you may feel you know for your kids for yourself for this amazing thing that it is when we walk on this earth and we communicate with each other holy schmoly wow i wish all of that for you be practicing too. I'll be back again in your podcast feed next week. Thank you so much. Namaste. Oh, hey, everybody. It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory, two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. Unsticking